Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and after a brief hiatus to talk draft, we are continuing our Knicks Becoming Champions series. Alex, I just came up with that. Pretty good. Uh, what are we getting into specifically today in terms of how the Knicks can take that next step? It's always good to name your episodes on the second one, Gavin. Uh, we are going to talk about the things that we talked about in the last episode in terms of what makes the Warriors and the Celtics great. And we're going to basically determine which of these things the Knicks are on their way towards or maybe already have and which ones they really need to work on and how they can potentially do that, such as elite shot makers, uh, physicality, team IQ and unselfishness and connectivity, all kinds of great stuff. So it's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Stops. Yes. Tuck left. Now fires it. And he's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of The Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. I wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. If you're not already, please uh, check us out on YouTube because we're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And throw us a subscription there as well. And Alex, we are continuing our, our recently named uh, Knicks I don't even remember what I said before, but we're talking about some of the qualities that the Knicks have or, or don't have uh, on the way to become champions. If you missed it, we did an episode earlier this week uh, where we talked about what I what I boiled down to the uh, six to eight categories. It was very ambiguous uh, that define the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors as NBA finals. And Alex, uh, we, we touched on it a little bit, how those categories applied in the New York Knicks. But now we're going to get a little bit more specific. And as we want to do, we're going to start on the optimistic end of things. What, what areas are the Knicks already hitting or at least on a trajectory to hit? Uh, and I'll let, you, I'll, I'll let you throw out the first one. I think my number one thing that stood out when we were talking the other day was the depth. Like, I think the Knicks are already well on their way to building championship caliber depth. Uh, on this team, you know, I, I think maybe they have not found the guy yet that can turn into the superstar, you know, so maybe not RJ Barrett or maybe not Emmanuel quickly, maybe not Obi Toppin, you know, so that's still something which we'll address in the next segment. Obviously, they have to still address is maybe that like one a star. But as far as the the depth that goes around stars, I, I think they're already well on their way. I mean, Obi looks like a real player. You know, I, I think that Maybe if we want to say that RJ and IQ are still TBD as far as potentially being on star trajectories, cool. I mean, that's that's totally fair. Um, you know, maybe one of them end up that high. Maybe one of them or both of them end up sort of in the middle tier of like very above average players, but not quite stars. I don't know. Uh, but like Obi, I think definitely seems like he's going to be just like a quality starter type player, uh, an efficient scorer, great around the rim really creative, great in transition. Um, But they also have Quentin Grimes, who can shoot the lights out already. Uh, I got checked on Twitter at one point because I I embellished the amount of like five to seven three-point games 
that uh, Grimes had had. I said he was having them regularly. He only had like a handful, but whatever. I don't care. He had like, I don't know, like eight or something. I already forget the number, but enough to convince you like this guy can, this guy's a cold-blooded killer from three. And, you know, he had very few, let's say this much, poor games from three, um, especially down the stretch of the season as he really started to hit his stride once he cracked the rotation. Uh, you have Deuce McBride, who looks like he could potentially turn into something as far as a, a defensive-minded backup guard, if nothing else. Uh, just the, you know, the shooting splits are not great from this year, but the the on-off numbers and the the net rating numbers from Deuce suggest that he really impacts winning uh, and impacts, you know, great defense. So uh, there's always a role for guys like that. Jericho Sims looks like, I mean, maybe if, if you're really bullish on him, you think a potential starting center or perhaps just a really good backup center who's switchy and who can set good screens and can catch lobs. If Even if that's what he ends up with, at the 58th pick, anything is found money. So, like, that was a great pick by the Knicks. You have Cam Reddish, who's still kind of a mystery box, and actually might be one of the only guys that ceiling-wise can sort of sit with RJ and, and IQ at the top there, although it seems much less likely that he'll hit that ceiling. Um, and then, you know, you also have whoever they're going to draft this year, and, you know, it, maybe Mitchell Robinson if they decide to re-sign him. So, like, I think they've already got this, like, really good core of quality NBA players. Uh, I think the the issue is like they don't have the top level guys yet. But I think as we saw last year, particularly down the stretch, like, and and maybe this also bleeds into the like team IQ and unselfishness and all that. But like this group clearly has a symbiosis to them and how they play. And in particular, certain clusters of the young guys really seem to vibe with each other and really, really just love playing with one another. So I think that they've already got that going for them. I think they just sort of need to find that that big guy to be at the top uh, who obviously didn't end up being Julius Randle. But even if you look at some of the guys that are vets too, like Fournier is great depth for a, a championship-type team, I think. Burks, you know, they, they've proven to be good at finding those sort of guys. So I think that's one thing they've really got nailed down so far. Yeah, I mean, that, that greater than the sum of their parts quality, right? Certainly true on the offensive end with Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin, of course, being the chief example of that. But but to your point, all the younger guys play pretty beautifully together. And, and that was, I think, when you talk about all the frustration and uh, anger we, we expressed on this podcast over the course of the year, I think it came from like saying, hey, this is there's some beautiful basketball to be had here if, if you put the right lineups out on the floor. And I think as much as that's true on the offensive end, I would say I'm even more optimistic on the defensive side of the ball, Alex. Like we, we talked about the combination of IQ, physicality, versatility defensively that define the Warriors, that define the Boston Celtics. I think as soon as next year, it could define the New York Knicks. I mean, I, I've talked about my vision of this team of, of just a bunch of big wings around RJ Barrett, right? And I love like Cam Reddish and Quentin Grimes is the two chief examples of that. Reddish is a deflections maven. He has such good instincts playing passing lanes off the ball, crazy length, crazy athleticism, and very, very intuitive about anticipating passes and then attacking the ball in midair. And that that kind of that kind of anticipation, I think, could be translated on the ball as well. It's just going to take more focus for him and him continuing to get stronger and him continuing to apply himself on that end. There's no reason Cam Reddish can't be a really, really good defender in this league. And then Quinn Grimes, just the almost as impressive as his three-point shooting, 
was just how physical he was defensively as a rookie. And that we, we always talk about like even good defenders as rookies often are, are below average, right? Because there's just a million different things to learn. But his combination of IQ and just being ready to handle NBA wings, like I, I can't count the number of times that he just seemingly touched a ball and it would just fall out of an opponent's hands. That, that's, that's how good his hands were. That, that's how strong he was. And, and he can, did it consistently without fouling. And I think those are two guys – who could lay the groundwork and then you mix in a Jericho Sims who has so much scheme versatility, right? Showed the ability to trap out on the perimeter, showed the ability to flash verticality against the Kevin Durant at the rim. Emmanuel Quickly's tenacity, speed, smarts, Deuce McBride just being like a, a freaking bulldog out there, right? Like you, you look at the combination of all those guys and what RJ Barrett, I think, could eventually be in, in if not a reduced offensive role, like just as someone who continues to get more physically developed and is, is more ready from just a cardiovascular perspective to play all out on both ends every single night. I, I just see a really bright future for these Knicks defensively. And I, I just think they, they sort of check every box on the way to, all right, maybe they're not there yet. And maybe they could use a few more like top notch guys like a Dyson Daniels, but they have the personnel to be a great defensive team for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think that's kind of become one of their calling cards, right? And particularly among the young guys, like that was one of the things that really didn't, uh, or I, I guess I should say did stand out in a bad way for Julius Randall this past year was that he kind of seemed like a square peg going into a round hole on the defense. You know, that was one of the biggest things that always stood out with him was the, the lack of effort there when you saw so much effort on the defensive end from some of the other players on the team. Um, particularly the younger guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think the conditioning is going to have to get better for guys like RJ, like, especially if if going forward in, in like a Randall-less world, he ends up, you know, being weaned on for more of the offense. He's going to need to learn how to, you know, pick his shots in on both sides of the ball to give himself, you know, more energy to expend on, on defense when he needs to because he clearly ran out of gas some down the stretch. If Emmanuel quickly starts taking on a bigger role, that'll become an issue for him. Same with Obi potentially, because, you know, as we said, and I mean, I think this got debunked a little bit down the stretch of the season, but Obi plays with such a high amount of energy on both sides of the ball that, you know, if he's playing like he did for the final 10, 15 games of the season, when he got real playing time over the course of an 82 game season, like we might see burnout after a while. I don't know what point that would come, but it might come at some point. So like they do have to learn how to, how to do that better if they're going to become more focal points than they have been in the past. And we certainly, again, RJ was sort of the case study on that this year. But uh, all in all, I, I love the defensive versatility and the defensive potential of this team too. And uh, I really hope that they're able to keep building on you know that and, and keep going forward. But Gavin, we sort of alluded to some of the things that we are not as confident about, uh, which we'll get into in the next segment. But speaking of building things i have to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by built bar and we've been asking for a while and built has finally delivered built granola bars are here built granola bars come in three unbelievable flavors chocolate peanut butter chocolate coconut and white chocolate berry if you want to try all three flavors you can get a mixed box at built.com right now they're so different from the bars and the puffs built granola built granola bars are loaded with, you guessed it, granola. It's the perfect combination of crunch and chewiness, but just like bars and puffs, these babies are packed with protein and covered in 100% real chocolate with 150 calories, 
15 grams of protein and only 4 grams of sugar. Built Granola Bars will change your world. Built has cracked the code to better granola. They're the perfect healthy snack to pack in your lunch, take on the road, or just eat as a snack. And they're made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. So go to Built.com and get Built Granola Bars now. Again, Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 and you can get 15% off your order. Yes, even Built Granola Bars, the new stuff. You could try anything for 15% off. Honestly, not even just once, as many times as you want. You know, try it once, then go back. Use the same code again. Again, that code is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And we're back to talk about the things that we're less confident in that the the uh, two NBA Finals teams possess compared to the Knicks here. But we do have a quick favor to ask you guys as well. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On Podcast. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes the survey can qualify for a chance to win one of $1,000 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. All right, Gavin, I will, uh, I've been talking about built bars and surveys long enough. Uh, what is your first thing that you are a little less confident about the Knicks having an easy path to right now as far as the the Warriors and Celtics go? And maybe what would be your solution or, or how do you see them solving that problem? First of all, just wanted to say I went on, did the survey, just ripped us a new one. Horrible. <laughs> set, set a really low bar. So everything else looks looks pretty good by comparison. As, um, uh, did a uh, uh, Shavin Hall or Sh- Shavin Gall uh, uh, reach he's, out? He's not a fan. He is just <laughs> he just does not like the way I look apparently. Um, but <laughs> he's he's upset about YouTube. Um, but yeah, uh, well, I think the area the Knicks need to improve is is obvious. Um, they don't have a star, right? You need a star to win a championship. We we've, we've been saying that for a while, and YouTube. everyone listening, you guys you guys know that you guys know that. Um, and. Do they have candidates on their team? I guess I guess that is the question. The the combination of elite shot making and advantage creation. I think they have one guy who fits in each profile. Uh, ignoring Julius Randle, who at times during his second team All NBA season, honestly, an elite shot maker and a pretty good advantage creator. Last season, he was uh, very much neither of those things for most of the season. But we're given the fact that Randall may or may not be back on the team next year. And uh, we want to keep this largely positive. I'm, I'm not going to talk about him. Uh, Emmanuel quickly, though, I think fits the archetype loosely of an elite shot maker, at least from beyond the arc. He already fits in that category, right? He can hit tough off the dribble threes. He can hit from five to 10 feet behind the line. Um, he has gotten increasingly good at utilizing his jab step and, and the threat of him going to the rim to get defenders to back off, to nail threes in their face. I think from behind the arc, I would qualify Emmanuel quickly as maybe just, just, just sub-elite as a shot maker, like 85th, 90th percentile um, in terms of his ability to hit from there. I think there's potential for more. He flashed a mid-range game last year where he made very tough shots, like the kind of shots that, again, you need to hit against the best defense in the NBA, where he gets the foul line, reverse pivot fadeaway, or around the basket where he he pulled off, I think it might have even been against the Sixers, like that ridiculous Julius Irving-style reverse layup where he seemingly floated through the air for eight or nine or ten seconds. The guy has, as, as he showed from his rookie year, he just has elite touch. 
So I think there's potential for quickly to get there. The issue is when you talk about elite shot makers, you also talk about elite separation and they'll quickly flash that over the last seven, eight, nine games. I don't know if he's totally there yet. Quickly also throws falls a little bit in the advantage creation category because we saw time and time again, he got, he, he was responsible for a pretty significant portion of Obi Toppin's points. And, and those came just via quickly creating an advantage for Obi that Obi wouldn't have been capable of creating by himself, but there's a much longer way for quickly to go there than there is purely in terms of shot making. The number one advantage creation candidate on the Knicks, I would say is, is pretty clearly RJ Barrett with his ability to get to the rim about as well as anyone in the NBA. Alex, what did you, what did you see from RJ in that capacity and how do you think he can continue to get better in terms of uh, creating easy opportunities, both for himself and his teammates? Yeah, as far as uh, I well, first uh, I'll quickly make a note about IQ. Damn, I did it. Um, <laughs> it's got to be one in every episode we talk about IQ. But uh, I'll I'll just say as far as him, I I do think that he needs to add something as far as like a like a, a more of a mid range game, you know. And you could say the floater, yes, is sort of his mid range game. But I found that shot to be so hit or miss. Um, not that all shots aren't hit or miss, but you know what I mean? Like it was, I didn't find it to be consistent enough. You know, I, I think that he needs to work on a legitimate mid range shot that he can tap into later in games. Cause I just think floaters, it's like such a precision shot that if his destiny is to start getting more minutes and you know, that, that wears you down more then that makes those, those like precision, you know, little flip shots like that come off short. I feel like more often than not, Whereas, you know, if you if you have your jumper with your full power behind it that you work on all the time, that can work a little better. Um, so I would hope that he could add something like that. As far as RJ, I feel sort of the same. Like I, I and I think that both these guys are very well aware of those things. Uh, RJ definitely is because we've seen him pull out some of these things from time to time. Like we've seen him, you know, go for step back threes. We've seen him, uh, you know, pull up for mid range shots. He was doing that a lot down the stretch of this season, actually. So like. He's doing a lot of those sort of elite scorer things. It's just going to be advancing past the experimentation phase and getting into the the actually executing phase. But if he does, you know, if he develops a mid-range shot that he can hit with consistency, if he starts hitting step back shots, particularly step back threes with you know a consistent at a consistent clip, I should say, to go with his already great stationary shooting. And his already great ability to get inside, draw free throws, and score in there. Maybe we are actually talking about like an actual superstar on the team. And I still have my doubts about whether he would be like Mr. 1A, you know, but I can see a world where he's 1B or number two. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. Like teams kill to get guys like that. Teams pay those guys max contracts because you need more than one star to win in the NBA. And I guess that's the other thing. Like, we're talking about, oh, the Knicks need a star. They really need like two. So like at least, you know, and, and the ideal arrangement here, I think, would be that you have someone come in, whether it's you know, hit big time at pick 11 in the draft. The Knicks are rumored to maybe want to move up in the draft. So maybe that happens. Uh, or maybe you trade for somebody and you manage to not give up the farm. Like, I don't know, like a Donovan Mitchell or Shea Gilgis Alexander, where you're not depleting that first part we talked about that is good the depth so much that you crippled the team in that regard uh but maybe you get someone that way for that other guy other than rj and then rj takes that development or quickly takes that development 
maybe in like the extreme hundredth percentile outcome, you know, RJ and quickly, and maybe even Obi all develop into some semblance of a star. And then the Knicks eventually just become a big destination for like someone in free agency or something, maybe like next year to come and add to that core. Uh, I don't know the the answer. If I did, I would I would go right to Leon Rose's office and share it because the only way to know is if you're a fortune teller. But you know, I think there are some candidates. I just don't know if I would put myself at a point where I would say I think it's likely that the Knicks have a star on their roster right now. Uh, which leads me to my last point, and I, I won't beat this to death because there's still like a million episodes you can go back and listen to from this year. And here are our thoughts on this, but I do think the Knicks will need a coaching upgrade if they ever want to reach NBA Finals level. I just think Tibbs is not adaptive enough. I think he puts together a pretty good game plan most games, at least defensively, but then he's very not receptive to adjusting that throughout the game. Um, he's also so-so with how he uses his timeouts. Certainly his substitution patterns are enough to make you want to pull your hair out on any given game. Uh, there's just, there was obviously a lot to like about him, which is what made him the coach of the year, uh, just a year ago, but there's so much to not like about him as well right now. Um, and this year really exposed those qualities after last year exposed, like, or not exposed, but highlighted like the game planning, the defensive schemes, all that stuff, you know, that stuff was great last year. This year though, all those bad things, I, He's he is who he is at this point, like with Tibbs, a coach in his third head coaching stop, who's fallen into basically the same traps everywhere he's been. I I think it's pretty safe to say that he just is who he is at this point. I do think the Knicks sooner than later do need to move on and and install a new coach to, you know, kind of take them to that next level. I wonder if they're waiting until they sort of have that one a player before they decide to say, let's make that move. I don't know. I don't know what the plans are there, but. I will say if the Knicks are going to win a championship at some point, I, I I feel pretty confident looking into my crystal ball or my magic eight ball, whatever. And and it's saying, you know, unlikely outcome or whatever uh, on the magic eight ball there, as far as Tibbs being the, the championship coach for the Knicks. So that's, I, I think that's my last point that I want to hammer home as far as what the, what the things are that I think the Knicks really need to work on uh, if they want to reach this championship level sometime soon. Yeah, I think you look at him in contrast to a guy like Steve Kerr, who just uses his personnel so perfectly. Like I I talked about that a bit in the last episode where he'll mix in a Moses Moody, who is is a rookie, who has not played a significant role pretty much the entire season. But for a specific game and a specific matchup, he says, hey, I think this guy can give us a good eight minutes and I'm going to try this lineup combination that I haven't tried all season in this crucial moment because I have a good gut instinct about it. And that's not to say every move Steve Kerr makes is correct. And he's, he's certainly fallible. And, and, and maybe some people would argue, I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to talk to a Warriors fan about this, that sometimes he goes too far in that direction of, of creativity. And, and it, it leads to things back. Like for years, people have preached, Hey, you, you have Steph Curry, just, just run uh, some pick and roll with him and, and see what happens. But you know what, ultimately it's worth. They're in their sixth final in eight years. And I think that is the biggest thing that Tibbs lacks that ability to, recognize and make changes moment to moment versus having a very set routine that he carries through game to game, regardless of situation or context. Um, But if you want to bet on the New York Knicks, uh, 
head coaching change or, or making a finals in the near future, or maybe just the Warriors and Steve Kerr winning another championship. There's only one place to do it. It is Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores fights, and even next season's NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, eSports, and more. So, Alex, I went on to check out some odds, some fun NBA Finals props, highest margin of victory in a single game is 17 and a half. I want to take the under on that. I think this is the opposite of, of the last two series these two teams played. I think every game is close and comes relatively down to the wire. Um, highest scoring total by any one player is 39 and a half. I would take the over. I, I see Jason Tatum or Steph Curry, or maybe even the dark horse, like a Clay Thompson, going for more than 40 points at some point in this series. The point is, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. And Alex, I almost never get to say this, but would you like to throw it to a multi-time NBA champion for this third segment? Yeah, surprise. We have a, a great uh, third segment for you guys today. It comes to us courtesy of the Locked On Sports Today podcast, hosted by my good buddy, Peter Bukowski, and yours too, I'm sure. We love going on Locked On Today, or now Locked On Sports Today, whenever we can, when we get to gush about the Knicks when they're doing good stuff, or sometimes lament them doing bad stuff. But uh, today, he has Robert Ory uh, as a guest, which... I feel like I don't have to introduce him, so I won't hold this up anymore. I'll throw it right to Peter Bukowski and freaking Robert Ory for our third segment. So enjoy this one, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Peace out, everybody. Talk to you all soon. The Golden State Warriors are minus 150, the favorites in the NBA Finals against the Boston Celtics. Joining me now, Robert Ory, seven-time NBA champion, is here courtesy of Bet Online. Check out Bet Online for all the up-to-date lines on the NBA Finals, Finals MVP, Finals props, and each and every game line. This is great to have you here. Why do you think, because the line has moved a little bit in, in the Celtics' favor, why do you think... There are people that like the Celtics matchup against the Warriors. Because the smart people know defense wins championships. Mm. And if you look at the Celtics team, they got two players on that team that made the all-defensive team. You know, smart, of course, defensive player of the year. But Robert Williams is one of those guys that is an eraser. He can block shots. He can, you know, you know, he can erase a lot of mistakes that you make on the perimeter. And you think about you got Brown, Tatum, and Smart who can get up on people defensively and funnel them to that guy. Next thing you know, it's getting blocked. And if you look at the way, you know, Hartford has been playing, he's turned back the hands of time. He's blocking <laughs> shots again. So if you, overall, I think that the, the, the Celtics is a better defensive team than the Warriors because even though you have Draymond Green, Green Clay Thompson is not the Clay Thompson of old who can do the things he used to be able to do. And, and, and so I just think that's, that's a big key for them, for the Celtics, that is. How do you see defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, matching up with, with Steph Curry? Is that going to be something where you see that Marcus is going to pick him up 94 feet? Like, how do you think Smart is going to approach that assignment if he does get that assignment, which we assume he's going to? But you know what? I don't think it's going to be a one-man job. If you look at the Celtics, they one, two, three are all athletic guys, and you go to the two, Jalen, and go to the Tatum, they get taller. You know, it's like yeah. like the bars on a cell phone. And I think even, even though they like to do a lot of switching, 
I think they're 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 perfect for this matchup. It's a perfect matchup for the for the Celtics and when they got the guard then because you know Clay is gonna be constantly moving. And so sort of, you know, not the same as a Jimmy Butler or Tyler Hero, but I think this what they just did against the Heat is like a a, a prelude to a preclude to what they're gonna do. And so I think they're gonna be fine defensively switching and getting ready for Steph. It sounds like you like the Celtics in this one. You know, all my Laker fans are going to be mad at me because they said you cannot wear anything green. You can never root for the Celtics. I'm not rooting for the Celtics. You know, I, I would like to see my former teammate, Emil Duco, win his first championship. You know, so I would like for that to happen. But, you know, I just think being the basketball mindset, I just think that there, there's a good chance the Celtics to win this thing. All right. So we have some odds here. Celtics in six is plus 375. Celtics in seven is plus 650. If people are going to bet on it, what is what is your prediction if you like Boston? Six, seven? Hey, you know what? If you, you try to make some money, right? <laughs> that's why you that's why you gamble. And so I will go with the Celtics in seven because I think the Celtics have been a battle-tested team on the road. They've won a lot of games on the road. They just won the Eastern Conference on the road. And so I think they're ready. I'm not saying everybody will say, well, the, you know, the Heat is a different monster than, you know, the Warriors and blah, blah, blah. But I still think it all boils down to having confidence and playing well on the road and, and believing that you can win on the road. There has also been this discussion now, especially among Celtics fans, about what this Celtics team has had to face, what, particularly who had Jason Tatum has had to face. Kevin Durant in the first round, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the second round, Jimmy Butler on a heater, no pun intended, for Miami, and now... Steph Curry, you're talking about at least three Pantheon guys, guys who are all-time great players. Who do you think has the most on the line legacy-wise in this series? For whom would that one title, you won seven, who would that one title mean the most for? You know, I'm going to go off script a little bit, and and I'm going to stop people from thinking this is going to be the greatest run ever by the Celtics. That's not true because you got Hornacek, set Carmelone, you got Kevin Johnson, Charles Barkley. You got Dennis Rodman, uh, MVP, David Robinson. Then you got Shaquille and Penny. Now that is the greatest run in, back in 95. So when people say this might be the greatest run, stop it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because all these teams was 50, you know, 55, 50 plus win teams. And so I just think if you if you look at this game and you have to pick an MVP, you know, of course, it's, it's going to be it Tatum. But this run that the Celtics are on is incredible. You know, don't get me wrong because they've been able to win on the road, which is key because you have to run on the road in order to win championship. That's if, unless you have home court advantage and you protect your home court. But I just think overall, when you look at the makeup of these two teams, they're similar. You know, go to state wars. They were the Celtics six, seven years ago when they first entered the playoffs. And nobody thought they could win a championship. Next thing you know, they win a championship. Then the following season, they win all these games and don't win a championship. And then they get KD and they win two more. But I think if you look at the Celtics, there are so there are so many similarities with these teams that people are always going to say, oh, let's go with the veteran leadership. Let's go with the fan favorite and Steph. You know, let's think, let's think about it. Because everybody wants Steph to win because we know he got robbed one time with the MVP in the finals. And then he's take, he took a step back and let KD come in to his team, which is Steph's team, and take two MVPs. And so I, 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 I do think Steph has a lot to prove, and his legacy is on the line when it comes to this because, you know, all the chatter now is about him not having an MVP in the finals, which we all know he was robbed of one, so let's, let's be real about that. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm looking at these MVP odds as you're talking about the MVP and, and we expect Curry and Tatum right at the top in terms of the odds. You're not getting really good value there. I'm looking at Jalen Brown, 10 to one. Yeah. I'm looking at Draymond, 22 to one. Like if he really turned it up defensively, people forget in that game seven against the Cavs, he had a triple double in that game. He was the best warrior on the floor in that game. I'm looking at Marcus Smart at 40 to one. It seems like you're, you can get some good value and we've seen, including in this Warriors run, that it's not always the stars who win these finals MVPs. It's true. You know, for me, if if I wanted to take the odds, I'm, I'm going to eliminate the top three automatically. And I don't I don't think Clay is, you know, you know, Clay is a game five, game six type of player. But me, I would go with Andrew Wiggins. If I had to mm. pick someone with the odds, I would go with Andrew Wiggins, who is 20 to one. And think about it. He has started to come into his own. Yeah. He, after that dunk on, <laughs> on Luca, all of a sudden this dude is smiling big. He's he's enthusiastic. He's playing hard, and he's an all star. You know, I think some people forget he was an all star. I think this is a good way in the biggest stage to show everybody that the all star uh, committee didn't make a mistake. So if I had to take all the, because I don't think Draymond Green he don't shoot he doesn't shoot enough, and he's gonna have to guard too many people, so he's gonna be all over the board that. So if you look down that list of people and you want to say, oh, odds maker, for me, I would take Andrew Wiggins 20 to one. That is, I, I mean, that, that's bold. I love it. Uh, I think you're right that that he he seems to be a different player. Just in the Warriors, just in Golden State, he seems to have been unlocked a little bit, whether that's Steve Kerr, whether that's just him feeling more comfortable. We're talking about legacy. And you have been on some teams that have gone on these multi-year runs that have been what we, we might consider dynastic, right? There have been some discussions here. If the Warriors win one, that because it's the Clay, Steph, Draymond core with Steve Kerr, that this has to be considered part of the Warriors run and that we have to call them a dynastic team. Where do you fall on that discussion? If they win one, are they a dynasty? You know what? It's, it's, I will put them in that category as a dynasty. <clears throat> you know, if you, if you, because they was riddled with injuries, Right. Two years. Clay was out and Steph went out. You know, you, you say, OK, we'll give him we'll give him a Phil Jackson asterisk by those two years. But if they were to get back to the mountaintop and win this year, I would put them, you know, you got one more step to be a dynasty. And then if they go to the finals again, then I would give them a dynasty. But, you know, think about this. They gave us a dynasty in the Lakers. We won three in a row. And next thing you know, they dismount on the team. They go back and lose. It's considered a dynasty. So, you know, if you to me, there's only been you know, three dynasties in this Bulls, the Celtics and the Lakers, because they're in a situation where they went six plus championships. You know, I, I, that's what you look at. But in this day, in this era, you can give them a dynasty. I think I think you I, I, I would I would consider the Spurs, the Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich Spurs in that mix, but they never won back to back titles. And so it depends on how you want to qualify it. Sustained yeah. success, not always enough. I, I think if you're a Boston fan, you're going why can't we have that sustained run? We've got these two young superstars, Marcus Smart, defensive player of the year, who's coming into his own a little bit defensively. It seems like they've unlocked some things with him as their pure point guard in initiating offense because he doesn't have to create for everyone. They've got Tatum and Brown who can create for themselves. I mean, what what do you think the chances are that they could be not the next dynasty, but the next team that you have to deal with in the Eastern Conference? Like, okay, they're going to be there every year until further notice. You know, I, I think you look down a line and you says, okay, Tatum, first team, Max, 
Brown, Max, Smart, Max. These are super max contracts these guys potentially can get. So now we're, you know, if you, since I cover the Lakers, the Lakers got $40 million guys, three $40 million guys. They can't get nobody else on the team unless they do some hell of a drafting, you know, and and they get those guys that's going to be there. But it boils down to payday, man. If you're going to stick around and get paid, or you're going to have that one falter and say, oh, you know, we didn't win a championship. We need to make a move because, you know, they exported us in this area. We need to get someone in. And they trade one of those guys. You know, people do dumb things like that. Well, GMs, I should say. So I think they have the potential to make a long run. They're just going to have to stick together and do what a Tim Duncan would do and say, you know, what? I'm going to take less money. So you can sign a Tony Parker, you sign a Manu Ginobili. But are these guys now, you know, selfless enough with it say hey you know what i don't want to make 40 million i make 30 million you know i, I don't think so i think every now every guy now is trying to get their bag so they can say you know what at one point in my career i was making 50 40 million whatever it may be so i don't that's gonna be the key though it boils down to money if they can keep that team together all right not a finals question but i can't talk to big shot bob and not ask you this question which of your big shots is your favorite you know, um, I grew up a Lakers fan, a huge Magic Johnson fan. And one of my biggest thrills before I even made it to the NBA, I got to play one-on-one with Magic when I was being scouted by the Lakers coming out of college, coming out of the University of Alabama. So the shot I made against the Sacramento Kings in 2001 to win that game is probably my favorite. And uh, don't get me wrong, I love what I did in Houston. I love what I did in San Antonio. But Everything I did in, in San Antonio was on the road, game five on the road. But this was at home in Staples Center. And the ego comes into play where you want to hear that crowd chant your name, man. And you run off the court and the crowd still chanting your name. You're in the locker room. You can still hear them chanting your name. So I think that shot, it, it, it takes over all the other shots just for the ego. You know, we are all as athletes got some type of ego. And I think for me, that just takes over because I had the Laker fans chanting my name. They weren't chanting Shaq. They weren't chanting Kobe. They were chanting Ori. So that's a big plus for me.